Now, you know me, Justin, I'm relatively well-traveled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently, so that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favorite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the modern Soccer AM to my Tim Lovejoy Soccer AM. It's Justin Beach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, I'm quite sad Soccer AM is ending. <laughs> um, I am and I'm not. I think it's it's needed, isn't it, really? Uh, it's probably gone way past its, its sell-by date. It is sad because most of us grew up watching it, or most of us grew up watching it in its pr- in its prime, um, whereas a lot of people haven't had that chance, so that's the sadness to it. It died a long time ago, even before we, uh, even before we made an appearance. The thing is, right? I think people have such high standards of Soccer AM because of how it was before that it was never going to be able to live up to mm-hmm. those standards again, and that's what people constantly hold them to. Because if Soccer AM ended 10 years ago, right? And you had the modern day show with just a completely different, you know, name, completely different branding, completely different people behind the set. Yeah. I think people would tolerate what the show is like now and think, actually, this is all right. It's not what Soccer AM was, but it's all right. But because people are comparing it to how it used to be under Tim Lovejoy, it's never going to win. I completely agree with you. And that's probably down to the producers at the time trying to copy the, the the format that was they should have shook it up a little bit and gone in a slightly different direction it probably still would be going past this season but I think that's just how it is I also think now it's just all YouTubers and whatnot I think that's what the the younger generation are, are wanting to watch because we don't watch we don't have time to watch Soccer AM in the more on a Saturday morning you, now you say that I, I watch it every so often yeah a bit of a bit of a loser though, aren't you. <laughs> charming but I, I watch it every so often like if if it's Saturday morning I've just finished playing football I've got nothing else to do I'll, I'll stick it on for a bit and just watch that while 
you know, doing some work, browsing the internet, and it's it's perfectly watchable TV. And I don't really know what they're going to do after this. I think they're, they're on about replacing it with Saturday Social, which I don't really know what that is. But no. I, I think, as I say, if they just carried on as it was, it, it was all right. It was serviceable. I just think maybe, I just think maybe it's it's time to change it, bring something else in. Um, but I do agree. It is sad because there's a lot of sketches that were hilarious. Um, what was your, what was your of, favourite moment? Um, I, I always like the dance-offs. Uh, I always like the dance-offs. Yeah. I, nobody has mentioned the dance-offs on social media since the the news came that Soccer Home is being axed. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. Um, birthed a lot of uh, a lot of good characters, Baby Elvis, for example. Um, but as well as that, um, the third eyes. The third eyes were great. The third, the third eyes, eyes were, were hilarious. But I think because everything's on social media now, it just doesn't. It just makes it a bit redundant. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why they got rid of the third eyes. They were great. I liked uh, Frankie Fryer as well. That was always really good TV. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they dumped that too soon. Tubes as well, Tubes as Question. Uh, I didn't really like Tubes as Question. Didn't really get on. I don't know. I think that was a weird one. Um, that's another one. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to completely escape me now. Now, now I'm trying to think about it. Um, but no, there, it there's a lot of... tier TV back in the day though, wasn't it? Well, exactly. It was. It was fantastic. But as I say, it, it died a death a long time ago. Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to deny it. it's nowhere near as good as it was, but I still think it's all right now. But it's a shame that it's gone because a lot of people have worked on the TV show for a long time, haven't yeah. they? So yeah, yeah. hopefully there's something around the corner for them. Um, just before we start, if you do hear bird noises on this podcast, you're not going see now. Justin is in the rural countryside in where? I'm in between Lincoln and um, the coast. And it's, I'm about 20 minutes away from the coast. I'm working out here for the weekend. It is so rural. It's just farms everywhere. Honestly, it's just farms, farms, farms. Just grass and rolling hills. Yeah, it is. It, is it like the Mablethorpe kind of area? Uh, just before it, yeah. It is just green everywhere. Nice. Nice. I've been to the seaside in a while. I'm sure you can visit. I'm here for another two days. But I'm definitely not going there. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. It's an international break, ladies and gentlemen. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to have a look back on our championship predictions from the start of the season. Not our league table predictions. Just before that, me and Justin made our predictions for things like top goal scorer, player of the season. Which team is going to be the biggest underachiever? Which team is going to be the dark horse? So we'll talk about that. Talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. And then we'll finish off with Didi or Didi right at the end. So... Justin, let's dive into our predictions, shall we? Um, let's start off with automatic promotion, which is kind of tied into our league table predictions. But I had Middlesbrough and Luton. You had Middlesbrough and Sheffield United, didn't you, to go up in mm-hmm. the top two. And considering the three teams we picked are all in with a shout of the top two still, I think that's quite impressive. Yeah, I don't think that's too bad. I think... Um... I think I'm. I've been surprised by Burnley and how quickly they've taken to Vincent Company. It's a virtually a new squad, so then to gate crash our predictions essentially um, is, is a surprise. But that's a testament to Company and his, his ability to coach. But Middlesbrough, I mean, it looked like at one point they had no chance of even getting into the top half, let alone let alone a, a challenge for the top two. But here they are challenging for the top two. And Sheffield United was probably an easy one because at the point of making these predictions, they probably had the best squad. They had the most experienced squad. They had quality oozing everywhere, um, but they just haven't been able to match uh, match Burnley. Yeah, I think 
I think some people will have predicted Burnley to win the league. I don't think anyone would have predicted Burnley to win it as strongly as they have done because they have just been a class above this season. And the reason why we weren't as strong on them as possibly other people were was simply because Vincent Company was an unknown once it. We knew yeah. the squad was going to be strong. It was just we didn't know how that was going to turn out. And obviously it's turned out that he's a brilliant, brilliant manager. Uh, so fair play to him. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think I'm, I think we can take a lot of credit for having these three teams still well within a shout of getting automatic promotion. Here's a question for you, Justin. As things stand, who do you fancy to win the playoffs? It's still a lot can change. I, I can accept that between now and well, two months' time. Uh, but but who would you go with if you had to choose right now? I, this is one of the hardest to call situations, I think, um, mainly because there are a lot of teams there who have had really good spells this season and who have had poor spells this season. Um, if I look at Blackburn, defensively, I like the look of them. If, if things were to finish as they are now, I like the look of Blackburn, mainly because... Um, defensively, they're a, they're a difficult side to break down, um, and that always stands you in good stead in the in the in the playoffs. Um, Millwall will probably fall under the same category, and they perhaps have more of a um, more of a chance in the way that um, they have a more rounded squad. They can attack, um, they can you know, put put their chances away. But Luton, again, Luton are, are a good side as well. Um, Middlesbrough, if it, if things were to finish, but. I can't look past Middlesbrough. It's impossible to look past Middlesbrough because of how good they are, how how good Michael Carrick's got them ticking. Well, that's assuming Middlesbrough obviously finishing the playoffs. The, the, the difficulty with this question is we don't know who's actually going to be finishing exactly. in the playoffs, do we? Because so many teams are still fighting for their you know, hopes of getting in there. I think Luton have a great chance. We've seen in the past that teams who miss out on the top two and have to settle for the playoffs struggle to go again and pick themselves up from the disappointment of missing out. We know for sure that one of Middlesbrough and Sheffield United are definitely going to miss out. So that could play into the hands of Luton, especially if it's Sheffield United, considering they've been, you know, fighting for the top two or been in the top two for most of the season. Um, But Luton, of course, their own top two chances, I'm not completely disregarding, but he's clearly a long shot at this point. There's a decent chance right now that Luton could find themselves comfortably in the playoffs with a handful of games remaining and that's not a bad position to be in when all your other rivals are you know battling until the very last minute of um of the championship season so I reckon as well they'll have learned a lot of lessons from last season's disappointment and we often see teams doing better in the playoffs after uh, failing um after falling in them last season mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things that make me think Luton. A lot of things could change between now and May, so let's not get too carried away with that one. Um, let's go to relegation then. Birmingham, Reading and Rotherham is what we both had. And it's fair to say this was the bottom three that pretty much everyone I saw had. And it's quite remarkable, really, that there's a good chance none of them will go down. They've all had a good flirt there, haven't they? Yeah, I think that's the key thing. Is It's, it's impossible to predict, obviously. Um, but the fact that Birmingham had so much unrest, Reading were had so much unrest and barely a squad as well um it was it was you know it, they were easy easy predictions to make um i mean all three teams still have a chance of going down albeit relatively slim it's quite hard to see quite hard to see them replacing the current three in the in the bottom three now um 
but yeah, I think all all were relatively easy. I think Rotherham were probably the only debatable one. I think I may have had them outside the bottom three, or I may have just had them in. I can't remember now exactly. But again, they're a side who have yo-yoed between League One and the Championship over the last few years, and why would that have been different this season, for example? So, yeah, difficult to difficult to make the decision on that. Um, or it's, it's good to see them at least competing and making it a p- competitive down in that bottom three because I thought it was going to be one of those seasons where, yeah, it looked it looked like they were going to be cut adrift very early. Well, the thing is with these three teams, I could easily see them all fighting to stay up again next season, assuming they do stay up, that is, because mm-hmm. all of them have their own issues. What do you think? Yes and no. I'd like to see Rotherham build if they do stay up, um, mainly because they've not been in this situation for a long time. Um and they've obviously had a you know a fair bit of upheaval this season with Paul Warren leaving, so I think it's a chance for them to build Birmingham. I said it at the weekend. It all depends on whether their off the off field issues get solved or resolved to some extent, because I think there's a lot of potential there under John Eustace and Reading. Again, Reading's a fairly easy one because they may even have a points deduction next season if if things. You know, don't particularly it, well, you know, if the EFL find them guilty of whatever they find find them guilty of. Um, so yeah, there's it's easy to, to to make that decision, but again, a lot depends on outside variables that we can't predict. Well, the reason I say I could see them all fighting relegation again if they do stay up is just because of the different circumstances each of them have got. Birmingham, mm-hmm. I could see them fighting to stay up again if the club isn't sold because under these owners I don't see them progressing as a football club anytime soon unfortunately the squad's great in some places but there needs to be a change of ownership for the club to really stop being a team that's always flirting with relegation at some point yeah. in the season Reading are just so terribly run and they're not as bad as they were but still it they're still suffering from seasons gone by and I think in that they're on a downwards trend towards relegation at some point unless something changes for them too and then Rotherham are just one of those clubs that have never really managed to progress past relegation battler in the championship have they they've been stuck with that tag now for years maybe even decades so for them to progress to the next level as well is going to be really difficult and it's not something they've ever ever really figured out how to mm-hmm. do it. So that's why I say all three of these teams could very well be fighting relegation next season. Having said that, I think there are a few teams who may manage to stay up this season but may be looking over their shoulder again next season. Yeah. Let's go on to top goal scorer then, Justin. I think I'm right in saying we both had Joel Perrault, didn't we? I think we did, yeah. I mean, it's... It would have been impossible to predict uh, Chibarapapom. Um but yeah, Joel Pirro yeah. seems like an easy, an easy one. He finished with twenty-two last season, so there was an expe- expectation of him to to hit that same form because Swansea do create chances for him as well. Um, and he had a really good partnership with Michael Abafemi. But I think there's been a lot that's worked against him, as well as his inability to be clinical this season. Um, for example, he's the only player in the top ten goal scorers this season who's underperforming on their xG. Um, so if there's any semblance of, of last season there for Pirro, he probably would be in with a shout, but he's hit 13 this season, which isn't a bad a bad run so far. And he had a goal towards the end of last season as well, which really propelled him up those charts. So may happen, may probably won't catch Akpom though. No, he, he's not going to catch Akpom, is he? I, I don't think he'll be troubling second or third place really either. But in, in my mind, Joel Pirro's not had an amazing season. But actually, as you say, sixth top goal scorer, 13 goals for the season. It's actually 
all right. But you're right, he has underperformed his expected goals. Last season, he massively overperformed it. Mm-hmm. And his XG per 90 minutes is also higher this season. So that means, while well, last season, his finishing was just deadly. This season, he's been getting in better positions, but his finishing's not been at the same level. But overall, I think he's had a, he's had an all right season, Hanty, And I still mm-hmm. think he's amongst the best strikers in the Championship. Yeah, and I, I, I mentioned that there's forces that have worked against him. I think not having a settled strike partnership with the likes of Michael Abafemi, for example, hasn't helped either. He's been the sole individual. There's been a lot of reliance on him, which we saw last season when he moved into a second striker role, quote-unquote. He really thrived, and he's not had that this season um, consistently enough, which is which is a shame because we saw him, he was well, he was unreal. It was just his ability to find space and put the ball in the back of the net was 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 mad, and he's just not not been able to hit that same form. But as you say, still had an all right season, which by goal scoring standards is double figures, is reaching sort of the the latter half of uh, yeah of the uh, of the goal scoring charts. So let's go on to player of the season then, Justin. Who did you go for? I went with Jed Wallace. Um, I thought it was a decent shout, and I I still think he's had a decent season, but. I think this has been one of those years where it's been, I don't think there's been a standout candidate as such. I think I was probably one. Um, but yeah, Jed Wallace has moved to West Brom, has been okay. Um, but he just hasn't had the, he's not been able to hit that same form as, as he's showed at Millwall over the years. But I thought Jed Wallace was a good shout at the start of the season. And I think he's still, I'd say still a good season by his standards, 13 goal contributions, which isn't too bad. And that's with West Brom's inconsistencies throughout the campaign so far. Yeah, I think he should have many more assists as well because I've seen mm-hmm. so many times this season where he's whipped in an unbelievable ball and West Brom just haven't been able to uh, find the back of the net with it. So I think he's a good shout. I, th- I don't think he's had a bad season at all. In fact, I think he's had a very good season. It's just, you know, when you're saying player of the season candidates, he's not in that bracket at all, is he? Um, I had Ishmael Asar. Ah. Um, you could make a good argument, really, that Ishmael Asar has been the most underwhelming player in the championship mm-hmm. this season. You look at his figures, nine goals and six assists. Actually all right. But he's had so many more games this season where he's been essentially anonymous. And for a player of his quality, he should be doing a lot more. The expectations are always high with him because of what he's done in the past. He's a Premier League player, but has not shown it this season. Now, I will be fair. He struggled as much as all the other Watford players and he's not been helped by the chopping and changing of managers with different styles and ideas, some of whom don't even like playing wingers, which doesn't really suit Ishmael Assar. <laughs> so it's probably not his fault that he's been underwhelming, but with his quality, I do find it a bit odd that he's so limited to playing in a handful of ways. I don't think... I don't know if it's that. I, I, I've. It's going to be a peculiar... Um, well insight into Ismail Hassan I'm going to try and get to the bottom of it before between now and the end of the season because he's probably become a you know he's, he's got he's gotten used to playing a certain type of way with certain Watford managers and the chopping and changing probably hasn't helped and that's that chopping and changing has happened when his, his career was at its most um influential influential where where he's going to be influenced if that makes sense so I think that inability to adapt to other positions probably hasn't been helped by the constant changing of managers at at Vicarage Road. Um, that being said, he, he is experienced enough now to be able to adapt to different areas of the pitch and not just play one one style of play or system. 
And as you quite rightly say, he's probably been the most underwhelming player because he's got that ability to be the best player in the league. And he's just he's not he's not got to that level um, by any means, and it's, it's a frustrating one for for everyone involved at Watford. Yeah, I do find it weird that he's still being linked with big moves to big clubs because, say, for example, he went to I don't know Spurs next season. Would that work at all? I cannot see it. <laughs> Considering he struggled against a lot of Championship opposition this season, I really struggled to see how he would be amazing in a Spurs team or maybe an Aston Villa team, someone lower down the pecking order is more sensible. But you see what I mean? I, I really don't understand how he's still getting links to big clubs. But either way, if someone wants to shell out 20 million for him, I'm sure Watford will absolutely rip your arm off for that. Um, let's go to young player of the season, Justin. I had Tommy Doyle at Sheffield United. This one is neither here nor there, really. He's had a very good season that can possibly upgrade it to a great season after scoring that brilliant winner in the FA Cup last Sunday. Uh, but there's other young lads ahead of him in the running for young player of the season, I'd say. Whatever the case, I'd say it's definitely been a worthwhile loan for him. Yeah, it's been a good experience. I mean, we saw him at the weekend score the winner against Blackburn to send Sheffield United into the semi-final of the FA Cup. It was a, a really good performance from him. But I think... Um, I think we're probably only going to see the best of him between now and the end of the season. I don't think we've quite seen the best of him so far. Not necessarily his fault as a young player. He's going to go through the motions a little bit. Um, and we've seen you know, good diminutive displays as well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's shown quality on occasion and he's got ability to score more. I think Hagenbottom said that. Needs more goals from him. Um, and I'm sure if he had been in, on the score sheet a lot more often, he would certainly be in contention for young player of the season. Who did you go for, Justin? I went with Alex Scott, which again seemed a bit of a home run. But that being said, he's certainly in contention for it this uh, this season. He's played the most minutes for an outfield player age 23 and below. Um, but I would say he's competing with the likes of Jack Clark, Dan Neal as well, João Pedro, obviously. And it's hard to look past someone like Pedro, um, considering his numbers, if we're going to make the decision at the end of the season. Um, but if we're talking about influence on a team, Alex Scott isn't too far behind. But I think Bristol City is underwhelming this 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 season again is probably going to allow someone like Jack Clark, for example, who's been exceptional. He's performing incredibly well when it comes to his numbers as well. Um, probably going to put those players in contention ahead of ahead of Alex Scott. Well, Alex, I, I think Alex Scott is definitely in the contention, as you say. I think there are quite a few players actually who are in contention, but Alex Scott will certainly fancy his chances of winning the second tier Young Player of the Year award, which I'm <laughs> sure is his massive priority this season. But I mean, as far as talent goes, he is just astonishing, isn't he? And he, he yeah. has taken his game to a next level this season. Andy. You've got to remember last season, he was being shoved out at right back, which I always thought was a bit of a strange move on Nigel Pearson's behalf. But this season, he has been exceptional. And there's a reason why he's been linked with so many clubs <laughs> in the Premier League this season. And I'd be very surprised if Bristol City managed to keep hold of him just because he's been getting so much interest. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's the thing. He's he's played, he's performed that well and cons that consistently well as well. That they're all clubs looking for him, and I'm sure if he was there for another year and he was to get on his score sheet a lot more often and increase those assists, his value would go through the roof. Um, but he's, I think that goes to show that his ability to carry the ball, to be that not linchpin in the middle of the park, but that that focal point that Bristol City play through, I think is testament to his maturity. Um, there are not many players who can handle that sort of pressure and he's done it. He's played a hell of a lot of minutes as I've pointed, as I've pointed out. He's just a, an incredible talent and I'm looking forward to seeing more and hopefully he gets another year in the Championship where 
we see him develop to a to a whole new level, which is incredible. Yeah, he needs to pick the right move this summer, doesn't he? And yeah. whether that move involves him getting a move back to the championship on loan next season, um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, it's going to be a very interesting summer for Alex Scott and um, Bristol City. Will be knowing that it's only a matter of time before he has to go out the uh, go out the exit door. I think. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about other things like which team we predicted to be dark horse this season and which team we predicted to be the biggest underachiever. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We're going through our pre-season predictions and having a look back at them and having a right old laugh at ourselves, but actually they've been quite good if we're just going to blow smoke up our own arses for a sec. Um, let's go to first manager to be sacked, Justin. And speaking of correct predictions, congratulations. The winner for this one was Michael O'Neill. Not too surprising considering he basically started the season under pressure and probably should have been sacked during the summer, but you predicted him, didn't you? I did. Again, it was, it, was, it was an easy one to make at the start of the season. He's, as you said, he was under pressure already. The Stokes' underwhelming seasons, the, the back-to-back 14th place finishes, um, had really yeah, increased the uh, the pressure on O'Neill. And I think that inability to sack him over the summer just lends to how poorly run Stoke have been because allowing him to bring players in, for example, over the summer and then sack him six or seven games in, it's just so disruptive. It's it's Mad ridiculous. Really, it? Yeah, and and that's why Alex Neil. He's taken Alex Neil five or six months to to really get the team going in his identity and style of play, which has been slow for Alex Neil because he's he has instant impacts. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I like O'Neill. I do rate him. He's, um but his inability to settle on a system, a philosophy, um, and his inability to adapt his team to situations around him, i.e. injuries, was a big factor in why he, why. He, was sacked and yeah, you know, one of those managers who we look back on and think it could have gone a lot better, um, but for for whatever reason it, it just didn't. Because again, I like him, I rate him, I think he's a good tactician, just poor overall at Stoke. I think well, he's obviously back at Northern Ireland now, isn't he? And mm. maybe international management suits him better. But you've got to remember, there's been quite a few managers who have failed at Stoke in recent years. Yeah. So whether that's that says a lot about him as a club manager his spell at Stoke I don't really think so so not sure how many more jobs he'll get at club level but it's a, it's a shame if this is the only job in recent years that he's going to have at a club um, I had shot at Arvaladze at Hull and I mean Arvaladze lasted less than three months but because of the number of managers who have been sacked in the <laughs> championship this season he was the seventh managerial change fifth in the sack race if you discount Alex Neil and Paul Warren both signing for other clubs I didn't really think Ovaladzi was the right man to lead Hull, but now they're in the right hands, aren't they? Without a doubt, I think in a few in a few months' time, if it, things aren't going well under Liam Rosini, I think what I'd say to Hull fans is remember how you were under shot Ovaladzi, shocking at the back, didn't really seem to have any game plan. I had at no point did I look at Hull and think, right, I can see what Ovaladzi's trying to do, and that's why it just never made sense to me in the first place that he was the person who was meant to lead this whole revolution in its first full season. So now that they've got Liam Rosinia, they actually look like they've got a plan on board. And Mm -hmm. that's always a good start. You can sign all these big name players that you want. You need the right person in charge of the club. And you can definitely see that now with Liam Rosinia 
honestly, the change that they've shown in terms of how good they are defensively is absolutely astonishing because they're much better now when they were like a sieve before under yeah. Arthur Ladsey. Um, and now I could definitely see Hull progressing as the years go on with Liam Rosinha in charge. I, I like Rosinha a lot. He's, he's a man with a lot of integrity. He's confident and he's, you know, the way he breaks games down. Um, post game is is you know is with incredible detail and you you see where he wants to go with his style of play. There's a clear identity there, as as we've said, um, and just his ability to fix the issues that have been apparent. Who were the worst defensive team in the division upon his arrival? Um, you know that's statistically correct. They were terrible, um, but he's he's fixed those issues. Now it's just a case of blending that attack with. Um, with that, and I'm sure if they if he can find a balance between now and the end of the season, have a positive positive finish to the season, stands him in good stead for next season. And it, you know, they become an exciting side to to want to talk about and wanted to predict. Um, whereas you know, it was a bit chaotic over the summer last summer. And he's essentially had the same squad as Arthur Ladsey as well. He's working mm-hmm. with the same tools and managed to get them into so much of a better side. It's it's very impressive. Let's go to Dark Horse then, Justin. I had Swansea City. Oh dear. Um, I think there are teams ahead of them in this respect, but Swansea are in the conversation for biggest underachiever this season, aren't they? I think we all expected them to improve on last season and make a challenge for the top six, and they simply haven't. At certain points, they weren't too far away from the top six, but once the field actually got narrowed down, they were never actually a serious challenger. And it's surprising, really, because they've got some very good players. The likes of Joel Perrault, Matt Grimes, Ryan Manning, some of the best players in the division in their respective positions. You've got a manager of Russell Martin, who's very highly rated. It was his second full season in charge of the club. You'd expect them to progress, but they've been undone by not being anywhere near as strong in other positions as the ones I've just mentioned there. They've got, got a very thin squad, and there was a lot of discontent behind the scenes with players not playing or wanting to leave the club and Russell Martin not being very happy with the business they did in January and not strengthening and not the, the the owners seemingly not matching the ambition that he's got. So it's been a very underwhelming season for Swansea Hantit when it really could have been so much more. I think you saying it really could have been so much more, I think is that's, that's the main statement with Swansea City. I think, you know, prior to the season starting, Russell Martin would have probably held the same views as us in that we're all expecting Swansea to 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 be knocking in and around the playoffs, but it just it didn't happen. And the reason why it didn't happen is because there was this lack of ambition from from the ownership. Now, it's always important to say when we say that statement is we're not looking to we're not looking for Swansea to spend freely, put themselves at risk like other clubs have done in the past, um, but just having a a transfer strategy that is logical and makes sense and you know you're not turning away players for example because they're too old um you know that could have that could have, it could have changed Swansea's fortunes very very quickly this season so um yeah it's, it's one of frustration with Swansea because they they could have for me they could have been knocking in around the top six had Martin been back to some extent it just hasn't happened in fairness to me, I had to listen back to our pre-season predictions episode and I did say that Swansea need to bring in defenders before the transfer window closes. And they didn't. And <laughs> defence has been a massive problem all season. Goal scoring, not really an issue. But they have been so poor at the back on so many occasions. So I'll let myself off on that one, I think. Um, Justin, who, who was your dark horse again? 
I went with Millwall. Of course, I went with Millwall. Yeah, I'm always going to go with Millwall for a dark horse, aren't I? It was uh, it, it was such a simple simple one to make again. A lot of a lot of my predictions were relatively easy for me. I don't know if that's because I'm a quote unquote expert. I don't know, but Millwall. Um, I think looking back at my notes and listening back to the the original episode, a lot rided on Zian Fleming hitting the ground running, and it took him a few games to get going, but he has been. Um, an exceptional player for Millwall this season. I still think there's more to come from him as well. Uh, I think that's the important thing. Whilst he has scored goals and created goals, I still think we're not seeing the best out of him. Um, they've had to rely heavily on Tom Bradshaw again, which I think is interesting because he's not exactly a, a consistent goal scorer, is he? Um, but he has shown that he, he can be a, an important figure for Millwall. So there's a lot of factors working for Millwall here. And if they get into the playoffs... I fancy them to be a dark horse because I've said before, and it's the reason why I held back in talking about them earlier on in this episode, um, they've got such a good blend now under Guy Rout. They've found a balance that works for them. They're able to play a, a five at the back. They're able to play a four at the back. There's a lot of mix there, and I think that's going to stand them in good stead going into that um, final running. Yeah, it's. Um, I think the Wolves always going to be a progressing this season weren't they because they've been knocking on the door for the playoffs for quite some time they're still obviously not sorted out yet but they'd be hoping that they can get that over the line but just because they had such a good transfer window last summer bringing in the likes of Zian Fleming amongst some others including the likes of Cresswell mm -hmm. um, they were always going to get to that next level weren't they a lot of it did depend on how Zian Fleming did he's been fantastic so yeah I, I, whether Millwall a dark horse or not is up for debate. I suppose you didn't go for Bristol City just in considering how hot you were on them at the start of the season. Ooh. But you guys, you dodged that bullet. Got away with um, Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to biggest underachiever then. I had Huddersfield. Now, it's easy to forget this, but Huddersfield weren't being tipped to go down at the start of the season. I think we had them 20th in our league table predictions. Now, I don't think many people would have expected them to challenge for the top six again, but... A lot of Huddersfield fans were outraged that we had them as low as 20th. And I think we were seeing that as the time, Justin, as quite a daring pick to put them that low in the table. But I don't know about you. I, I'm going to claim that I've got this absolutely spot on <laughs> as Huddersfield being the biggest underachiever this season. All the signs were there last summer that this was going to happen. It was going to be a very underwhelming season. And it's been more than that, really. They sold all the best players, lost a very talented manager in Carlos Corbran. The replacements in the dugout and on the pitch have been all very substandard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you're spot on. Everything, everyone has underachieved at Huddersfield. Um, the the board, um, the, the 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 team running the football side of things, the management, the players, everything has been underachieving and underwhelming. It's been such a poor year compared to last year. And obviously, Barnsley had a similar season the season before, finishing the playoffs and getting relegated. If you don't get things right off the pitch, it's not going to get. It's not going to go well on the pitch. Um, I think that's the main takeaway here with Huddersfield, and sadly, it caught up with them this season. And it's it's a frustrating one because I thought Carl Corbran put in some really solid foundations, a really promising. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Promising. There was a promising project there, and it's gone. It's just gone. Sadly. Are you giving me biggest underachiever? I think so. Yeah. I think thank you. I, I think you've nailed that. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you have? I had Norwich. And uh, some, yeah. Yeah. Norwich have underachieved. Yeah. They've underachieved. Well, I think they, many... There's been a few, hasn't there? But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean Huddersfield I think have 
have won it, but there have been a fair few teams who have given it a right good go. Yeah, I mean, Norwich could still finish in the playoffs, which would be a success. They've still got an opportunity of getting promoted, which would be a success. But I think the, the fact that between, I don't know, September and January, they were terrible. I know that was a big break with the World Cup, but they were absolutely awful, weren't they, under Dean Smith? Um, you know, that's the reason why they're not competing closer to the likes of Middlesbrough, Sheffield United and Burnley because they could have been. I, You know, whilst the squad isn't as good as it has been in recent years, I still think there's plenty of quality there to, to tap into. Hasn't happened. And um, yeah, I, I imagine a lot of Norwich fans are frustrated, but we've harked on about it quite often. They need a bit of a reset in the summer and I think once that happens, maybe, maybe they could be a challenger for the automatics next season, should they not get promoted this season, of course. Speaking about sides which just got relegated from the Premier League last season, best performing relegated side. I had Watford. <laughs> now, I, I, again, I listened back to this episode and a lot of that was hindering on things like Emmanuel Dennis staying, for example, which never really, I don't know why I thought there may be a chance of that happening really. Um, but I also had a lot of hopes on Ishmael Assar having a good season, which just didn't go well. Um, I think I also had that scepticism of Vincent Company as well. As I said earlier in the show, he was an unknown, wasn't he? And in fact, on this actual question, I had doubts over all of them. I mean, Rob Edwards was in charge at the time and I wasn't too sure about that appointment because I just wasn't sure whether he would suit Watford and whether it was a bit too soon for him as a manager. I mean, he's doing fantastically at Luton now. So more for me and more for Watford. Um, but yeah, I wasn't too strong on picking Watford in this and I wasn't too strong on any of them. But you managed to pick the, the ultimate winner in this one, Justin. I had a one in three chance, didn't I? I had, yep. yeah, I had to be one of them. So. <laughs> yeah, and you weren't going to pick one of them because you just picked them as the biggest underachiever. <laughs> exactly, that would be incredibly contradictory. Um, but yeah, Burnley, I went with Burnley. Um, and I'm surprised I picked Burnley because I know I was big on them. I, you know, I had a lot of concerns about them. There was a lot of turnover at the playing staff. There was obviously this debt hanging over them, which we know isn't an issue now. Um, and there was obviously Vincent Company being a, a relative novice at this level. So I think it speaks to my expectations of the other two teams more so rather than Burnley but they've been unreal Burnley have been fantastic there's not there's not anything we've said so far that hasn't you know not been true or been the case you know, the amount of praise we've given them it's all been accurate um you know and you've got to think the, you know the marquee signing of Scott Twine he hasn't really settled in yet because of injury there's just a lot there for Vincent Company to still work with to still get out of this team and I think it's remarkable what he's done and they are they can be one of the best teams ever in the championship should they uh, maintain their consistency. It is staggering, staggering. Best ever if they get the 106-point <laughs> record, which is still very much on. Um, we won't spend much time on the final one, Justin. Our final prediction that we had to make in pre-season was best-performing promoted side, which we both picked Sunderland for. In normal seasons, this would be quite a interesting one to pick out and mm -hmm. maybe quite difficult for us to try and narrow down it uh, which one we both went for but I mean Sunderland getting promoted with Rotherham and Wigan no disrespect to those sides but Sunderland are just a much bigger team aren't they and it was always going to be a lot easier for them to settle back into life in the championship than it was for the other two they've got the biggest budget they've got the biggest ground so that biggest uh, they've got more uh, more opportunity to yeah increase uh, revenue and whatnot so yeah certainly one of the bigger clubs in the division still 
in the championship now, um, let alone coming up from League One. Um, and obviously at that point, they had Alex Neil, who we rated as one of the best in the division. They have Tony Mowbray, who is still probably one of the best in the division. Um, so yeah, they, they seem to have landed on their feet quite nicely, Sunderland, and they'll look back on this season as a really good chance to to put some solid building blocks in place for um, for next season. Because yeah, they're a they're a good side. They're a really attractive side as well. That's that's I think that's the thing that surprised me is how how good they've been playing football. They've been a really attractive side to watch. To their credit as well, I don't think either of us expected them to be in the top half. No, did we? Because well, they may not finish there, but you. You'd have thought they would do, considering they've been knocking on the top six mm-hmm. door for quite a lot of the season, which is another thing I don't think we expected. I thought they'd be, you know, mid-table, bottom half kind of area, but they've gone out of their way to outdo that. And in the time that we've been covering the championship, as I was saying not too long ago, I think the best performing promoted side finished 17th, 19th. Yeah. So for Sunderland to finish in the top half is very, very good in that respect, isn't mm-hmm. it? Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Wigan's three-point deduction has now been confirmed. It's after the club failed to pay player wages in March. They had been given a suspended points deduction in October for the same offence, so we knew that if it happened again, they'd be docked three points and here we are. There's been talk of whether this is enough of a punishment. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Justin. There's no point punishing a club even more. Um, They need to get things right off the pitch. And they probably need to be put under close scrutiny by the EFL, and they probably will do. Um, and they probably will be, sorry. Um, so, yeah, we, it's something that we'll probably learn more come the end of the season. But, yeah, it, it, there's, there needs to be a resolution because four times within the space of 12 months is, is, um, is yeah, it's ridiculous, really, isn't it? Yeah. I, I can't recall too many times when it's happened before. And that hasn't involved a club not being in administration. A bit strange, really, isn't it? Well, Wigan's chairman, Talal Al-Hamad, has reaffirmed the commitment of the owners to the club, adding, in the days, weeks, months and years to come, we will do everything we can to make amends for this season's mistakes and restore your faith. The thing is, why should Wigan fans have trust in what these guys have to say? Because they've said things in the past which just haven't been true, like, we won't fail to pay the wages again. And when when a, when the owners fail to pay the wages four times in a season, that is really, really poor form, isn't it? Or four times in the last year, I should say. And as far as I'm aware, the players still haven't been paid unless something's changed in the last few hours, which I just haven't been aware of. So these owners, they may think, it may be a case of just sticking a plaster on it and they'll be able to get the trust back of the Wigan fans. But it takes a lot more than that to actually get the trust back and it may be irreparable in that respect. So th- these guys have shown themselves to be not great owners and it'll be best for all parties if they were to just move on at this point. I know there's not a million wealthy people out there who are ready to take over Wigan Athletic at the, at the click of a finger. But these guys have shown themselves that they're not fit and proper and need to be getting out of the club as soon as possible. I think it's also worth discussing how many points deductions there have been in recent seasons. Just in the last championship season, not to feature a team getting docked points was in 2017-18, five years ago. Says a lot about how many teams have breached financial rules in that time. But maybe it also says something about whether points deductions are actually working. I think that's the thing, isn't it? I don't think they are. 
are they? You know, you look at Reading, for example, who, if found guilty again, will be deducted six points um, after being deducted six points last season as well. So, yeah, maybe it isn't working. Maybe, you know, tougher transfer restrictions, tougher budget restrictions, you know, really, you know, pumping down the iron fist on, on clubs who, who, who go through these scenarios, along with point deductions, might be the way forward. Because um, as I say, you know, Wigan's situation, the only way that's going to get resolved if, is if they um, get put under potentially really tough restrictions and you know, it allows the EFL a chance to review their situation in, in closer detail. Um, so yeah, don't think point deductions are working. This seems, it seems like a very flagrant punishment because as we've seen, teams just aren't bothered. Maybe it's not a good idea having the clubs governing themselves, is it? If they just mm-hmm. keep repeatedly <laughs> breaching the rules all the time, and uh, just in time to get back on your on your soapbox and shout about football regulators and what have you, um, let's move on, shall we? The Guardian is reporting Burnley boss Vincent Company is of interest to Tottenham Hotspur. It's with amidst the expected sacking of Antonio Conte, which, as far as I'm aware, hasn't actually happened yet, but is very much expected to happen. What do you think, Justin? I think, I think um, press, media, and naive football owners need to stay away from um, f- coaches who are having some success in the championship who have played at an elite level. We've seen time and time again them fail to make a step up. You look at Steven Gerrard, you look at Frank Lampard. I know Vincent Company is slightly different because he has a lot more experience than those two, um, but at the same time, these coaches need time to develop themselves. Need time to. De- you know, perform under expectation um, and they need time to, to adapt as well because as I say one season at championship level shouldn't be enough to convince you to take a, a team to t- take a job for a team competing to get into the top sit, uh, top four of an elite division it's just not enough um, I rate Vincent Company but he needs to cut his cloth at Burnley first his underlight spell didn't go amazingly well didn't go great it was just okay, wasn't it? So maybe that's more of an indicator of where he's at now than his spell at Burnley. Yeah, it is a bit strange, isn't it? How players or managers who used to be elite players always seem to be at the head of the queue as opposed to managers who have actually done a lot more in the game. Steve Cooper is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Someone who's taken Forest from relegation zone to the Premier League and may very well keep them up, yet isn't being talked about at all for this job as far as I'm aware. Whereas Vincent Company is despite him getting Burnley promoted but he hasn't shown anything in the Premier League yet so look I think Vincent Company has everything about him to be an elite manager but surely this is too early he's got a great thing going at Burnley and his stock could be absolutely massive next season if they have a good campaign if they manage to finish at like mid-table mm-hmm. which I think is a very realistic possibility with this Burnley side then his, his stock will be through the bloody roof <laughs> Meanwhile, if he goes to Spurs, his stock could plummet very quickly, very soon, because it doesn't take much for things to go wrong. And you don't want your stock to be that low after, you know, one or in your second season of being in British football, if you Mm -hmm. see what I mean. I know he had it spelled and let before. But the Spurs job right now is also very difficult because expectations are so high, a bit too high for where they actually should be in my liking. So while I think Vinnie Cumps may be tempted... The sensible thing for his career would be to hold fire for now because I'm pretty sure if things go well at Burnley, then those jobs will be there in the future. But at the meantime, Burnley need him and I think he needs Burnley as well. Yeah. Um, 
Swansea have held talks over securing fresh investment. The club's US owners are open to bringing a new minority stakeholder on board to provide a financial boost. Discussions with interested parties have taken place, but the majority shareholders are said to be still committed to the club and aren't looking to sell. Not sure that will please the increasing number of Swansea fans who want the current owners gone, but we'll move on. In transfer news, Sunderland midfielder Dan Neal has signed a new deal to keep him out of the club until 2026. Dan Neal getting a new deal, that's always very pleasant to say. Um, great news that, isn't it? He's been one of the pivotal figures of Sunderland's season and a really bright prospect as well, despite being so young. Yeah, well, I put him in contention as uh, one of the young player of the years, didn't I, earlier on in the episode? So... It's how highly I regard him. He's been really, really good. And I think he's got such a high ceiling as well. I, I expect him to be one of those players who maybe in a few years' time could be knocking on the door of of uh, of the England national team um, should he should he make you know, should he progress as he should or should I as I expect um, yeah he's, he's an exceptional talent really composed passer of the ball sets Sunderland's tempo and as well as that you know he's he's been allowed to make mistakes this season as well which has been really important for him because. I mean that's really important for a youngster, um, and he's and he's shown that he's capable of performing at this level as well. So, yeah, really, really good player. I like him a lot, and I think he's one of those who's probably gone under the radar because I don't think he's got that zesty name that you associate with a deep lying playmaker. Well, he, he he probably does go under the radar because he's he's not like your Alex Scott, is he? Who's no. running at three or four players in a game, is he? He has been excellent this season, Oanti. And I will be honest, I didn't know too much about him prior to this season, but he has been great because he is so composed on the ball. Excellent passer, really good at winning the ball back and has been ever-present for Sunderland despite being only 21. So for Sunderland to tie him down for three years is really good news and will mean they'll get a healthy fee if they do sell him in the coming years. And I think he's got a big future and I completely agree with you, Justin. I won't be surprised to see him play for England at some point. Bristol City goalkeeper Nikita Heiken has been released so he can rejoin Bodo Glimt in Norway. He was brought in as kind of a backup, really. Uh, QPR striker Lyndon Dykes says he's just happy to be back playing football. After being hospitalised with pneumonia, he was unavailable for them uh, for a spell after a couple of months ago. Um, he says, I feel, I'm feeling much better, happy to be back on the pitch playing football and not in a hospital bed. So that's good news. And finally, congratulations for, to our friends at Action for Albion, the West Brom protest group. Ali, who was on the show a few weeks ago, you may remember, was invited to Downing Street as a community champion this week. So good to see his hard work getting somewhere. Now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Did He or Didn't He? This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they play for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the players and club with the scores 115-109 to Justin Peach. Justin, I'm ready for the first player. Nigel Quashi in Stoke City. No. Correct. <laughs> I say this a lot when we do this, but I don't know Nigel Quasi's career very well. Yeah, it's, there's a couple of weird ones in there. Um, he's a player who's he's been looks like he's been bold for the, all you know his entire life, which is something as well. Yeah, yeah. I always associate him as a dying breed of of bold footballers. <laughs> um, one out of one. <laughs> Sorry, trying to compose now. That was a that was a good one. Uh Heide Helgson and Bolton. 
See, I was going to say yes then, but I don't know if you've just thrown in the old... Because uh, Bolton went through a phase, didn't they, of signing Icelandic kind of players. <laughs> kind of Icelandic and players. And I think, I think I may have given you this one not too long ago, and I can't remember what the answer is. <laughs> um, well, he paid for Watford, QPR and Cardiff. I'm gonna say oh, I'm gonna say yes, but I'm not sure. You'd be correct. He made seven appearances between 2007 and 2009. I just need to go with my gut, don't I? Come on, Ryan. Yeah, big two old gut of yours. Uh, the next one is Joe Lumley and Doncaster Rovers. Not a clue. Yes. Correct. Made eight appearances in 2020. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Three out of three. Next one is Grant Hall and Brighton. Yes. Bit of a hesitation there. Again, Grant Hall's someone I don't really know his career very well. He'd be correct. He made one appearance in 2011 before signing for Spurs. I won't profess to knowing that at all. That was a complete and utter guess. Four out of four. <laughs> Incredible scenes. The next one is Adam Hamill and Southampton. No. Surely not. Incorrect. Really? Loan spell, 2007, 2008, 25 appearances. Is that when they were in the League One? Uh, 2007, 2008. No, I was when they were in the Championship. Was it really? I, yeah. I did not have any inkling of that, and I thought Adam Hamill's career was one of the rare players that I do know quite well. It's quite extensive, to be fair. I was surprised by some of the clubs in there. Yeah, yeah. Four out of five. The next one is Jason Yule and Middlesbrough. Yes. Are you questioning yourself? He played quite a few games for Middlesbrough, didn't he? Well, tell me what your answer is and I'll tell you. Yeah, he did. You'd be correct. Only made 17 appearances. I always associate him with Middlesbrough. Why? I don't know. Maybe I, I tell you why. I tell you why I think it is because I think what 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 kind of time period was it? Do you have that info to you? Yeah, yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't know then. I don't know why that. Why I was so sure about that. Maybe yeah. maybe it was because I used to collect match attacks, and I think he may have been in there. I always associate him with Charlton. I associate with Charlton as well. Maybe I'm getting my red kits mixed up. Anyway, um, five out of six is going quite well, actually. Yeah, it's going very well. Next one is Chris Burke and Rotherham. For some reason, I'm saying yes, but I don't know when that would have happened. Is that your final answer? Yeah. You're correct. He had a loan spell in 2016. He made five appearances, scored two. Yeah. That, will, that mm. would have been after Cardiff and Birmingham, wasn't it? I think he was on loan from Forest. Yeah. Yeah, I do recall that one, I think, actually. Um, six out of seven. This is going very well for you. Not for Thank me. You. Harrison Reed and Leeds. Next one. No. Yeah? Is, 
Are you sure? <laughs> I'm saying you don't have to question every single one, just No, was, no, the, was, the only reason is it, you know, that's more of an expression rather than an answer. Like, no, he didn't. Oh, okay, sort of that's, that's fair. It was kind of an expression at no. Um, I, I'm going with no, though, because I know he's been on loan at quite a few clubs. I cannot recall that. And if he has, fair fucks to him. <laughs> don't drop the F bomb, Ryan. Better than Sorry. that. Um, you'd be correct. He, he has not played for Leeds. I was hoping, I think it was me, I think it was a rhyme that drew me in. And also high pressing football, maybe. Yeah, I knew he was at Blackburn and Norwich before Fulham, and he can't have had that many clubs before then. So, um, seven out of eight. Okay, very well. Next one is Darren Person, Millwall. Yes, I know that. You're one. very confident. You know that one. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, we, we only made 13 appearances in 2011. So, the reason I know that is because when we've done random footballers on Twitter, I remember including Millwall on there. Always have. And he's always had this silver hand. Yeah, got a side parting now. Has he really? Yeah. Dan Purse has got hair? Yeah, incredible, incredible. <laughs> See, what's he bowled for like, his whole career? Yeah, yeah. Strange how where these footballers go go soft when they retire. <laughs> I'm not saying that to him. <laughs> Eight out of nine, last one. Last one is Danny Gabadon and West Brom. I don't think so. Incorrect. This blew my mind. Are you ready go for on. this? Hold on to your seat. Came through the academy at West Brom. Made 20 appearances before signing for Cardiff. No, I refuse to believe that. 8 out of 10 is my awesome. final score, which means I'm now ahead for the season. And the scores are, let me just work this out, 117, 115 to myself. I haven't been ahead for quite a while, have I? So mm. that means it's all back in my court, ladies and gentlemen. Um so yes, we'll see how that gets on. We're in the business end of the season now, Justin. You haven't got much time to catch up with me either. So no yeah. pressure, big lads. Um, so this has been the Second Tier Podcast. And this Sunday is another edition of the Second Tier Meets. I'll be joined by a true championship great. He's played over 300 championship games for seven different clubs at second tier level. He's played numerous games in the Premier League and even played in the Champions League. And... He's still playing in the championship right now. He's got some great stories and we can't wait for you to hear this episode on Sunday where we will reveal all about who it is. So watch this space in that regard. So that's coming out on Sunday. Me and Justin will next be back on Thursday to preview the championship games coming up next weekend once we get past this pesky international break. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.